Good morning, church, in person, online. Uh, it's great to worship with you. Uh, it's great to, to pray with you. It's great to express gratitude to God for uh, this weekend, the freedoms that we enjoy. And uh, it is great to close out this series from the book of 1 John called Walkathon. Our theme has been that the Christian life, one of the most powerful biblical metaphors for the Christian life, is that each day is a walk with Jesus. And uh, so far in this series, we've talked about walking in the light of God, uh, the light that exposes our sins, that we confess and experience forgiveness. We talked about uh, walking in purity and not in worldliness. And on Father's Day, we talked about walking in integrity, finding our identity in the love of Christ and aspiring to the Father's lifestyle. And then last week, uh, Paul Baxley talked about walking in love and being kind of ambushed by the love of Jesus Christ. And today, we want to wrap up the series by talking about walking in hope. I loved hearing your surge a few minutes ago when you sang, all our hope is in you. And, uh, and that is certainly the, the through line. That's the theme of this passage and this message. And so listen as we read God's word, 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts the testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. God bless the reading of his word. So I want to open with a somewhat unusual image. And I know those of you who've been hearing me preach for a while are like, well, what else is new? But, but, but bear with me. Let's imagine for a moment that you and I are playing a game of tug of war. And just to raise the stakes a little bit, let's imagine that each team is on the edge of a cliff. And there's a 10-foot chasm that separates each side. Now, that's a little frightening, isn't it? I mean, because that tug of war is, is truly winner take all. Uh, the, the, the stakes in that game is not win or lose. The, the stakes in that game is life or death. Now, I realize that's a, a dramatic image. You might even call it a melodramatic image. But if, if we were playing that game, there would only be one question on our minds, wouldn't there? And that is, will our side win? Will we overcome or will we be overcome? 
Will we be victorious? Or will we go down in defeat, and not just defeat, but in death? I want us to think about that image as we study today's passage. You see, the the Apostle John was writing to people who, uh, like us, experienced doubt. Like us, they experienced fear. Like us, they struggled with sin. Like us, they struggled with the forces of evil on the other side of the rope. And so their question is really our question. And that question is, what is our hope in life? What is our hope in life? Or to use the, the image that I just used, uh, where's the power coming from on our side of the rope that promises victory? Well, spoiler alert, it's a good spoiler, uh, but verse four tells us, verse four says, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. What, what a verse. What a verse. In the epic tug of war between God and evil, between despair and hope, between eternal life and eternal loss, the Apostle John tells us that those who've experienced the new birth of salvation in Jesus Christ will be victorious. We will overcome. We will win. We will experience victory. Why? Because Jesus anchors our tug of war team, church. Jesus anchors the team. This is the life that we've been born into. Through the work of Christ on our behalf, we experience the power of Jesus Christ. And I want you to think of what we're going to talk about this morning, almost like three powerful tugs by Jesus on the tug of war rope that we hold on to. And the first tug, if you will, the first source of hope that we have is we find hope in the power of love. We find hope in the power of God's love at work in our lives. You see, John wants us to know that in this this battle that we face with evil, something powerful is happening in the heart of the Christian. And that is, we we are being washed in, we are experiencing, you might say, the love that is embodied in Jesus Christ. One of the things I think we've said every week in this series is that the, the, the letter of 1 John is like a spiral staircase. And we keep passing these same beautiful themes, but we see them from different angles. And one of the themes that we've passed uh, time and time again is this theme of love, especially last week. And uh, once again, we experience this theme of love here in verse 1, which says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. The first part of verse 1 speaks to this new birth that, that comes about in us because of the love that Christ has for us. And the second part of verse 1 talks about one of the signs of this new birth. And that is the love that's being unleashed in our hearts. Our lives, through the power of the Holy Spirit in us, is our lives are being characterized by a powerful love, a two-dimensional love. You might say a, a vertical love, a love for God, and a horizontal love, a love for uh, those that God has created, a love for human beings. Love for God, vertical. Love for others, horizontal. Um, we love the unseen Heavenly Father. We love the visible children of God all around us. And 
And we need to know, verse 1 tells us, that, tells us that these loves go together. Everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. These two loves cannot be separated. I mean, I want you to imagine um, telling one of your friends who's a parent, okay? Uh, one of your friends who's a mom or dad, you say to them, you know what? You are my best friend. I could not love you more. Now, your children, that's another story. Can't stand them. All of them. Can't stand your kids. Now, what is that friend who's a parent? What are they going to say back to you? Are they going to say, hey, no problem. You know, you love me. We're good. Who cares what you think about my kids? No, they're not going to say that. Any parent's going to say, hey, if you love me, you love my kids. If you don't love my kids, you don't love me because I love my kids. They mean everything to me. Those two loves go together. In the same way, we can't say, yeah, God and I are good, but I can't stand the rest of you people. No, those two loves go together. Well, one of the things that, that, that regularly fills me with hope in the battles of this life is that when I, uh, you know, imperfect sinner, nevertheless feel the power of the Holy Spirit moving me toward love. Love toward God, love toward one another. Sometimes it's this uh, love for someone who, I, I can't really explain it. They, they did me wrong. They hurt me. Uh, but yet God is, 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 is nudging me to love them. And I know it's the power of the Spirit at work in me. Sometimes it's this new intensity in my love for God. And as verse 3 puts it, that new intensity causes me to take God's love and God's word more seriously. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. And get this, and his commands are not burdensome. I want us to talk about this word, burdensome. You see, the things that God asks us to do in his word are not always easy. It's not easy to carry a cross. It's not easy to love an enemy. But neither are these commands burdensome, or one translator says irksome. I, I think there's a deliberate contrast here between the word of God, the commands of God, and legalism, uh, the kind of legalism that Jesus called out time and again in the Gospels. Jesus talked about the Pharisees, how they would, would load down people with these heavy, cumbersome laws that were, uh, were not from the word of God, but they were kind of invented uh, in this legalism factory of all the different things you couldn't, couldn't do on the Sabbath. And, and these laws were, were so burdensome. Th these laws did not bring joy. But the commands of God, on the other hand, are difficult at times, but they're powered by the Holy Spirit and they lead to delight. And when we step into the yoke with Jesus, guess what? He does all the heavy lifting anyway. And that's why Jesus can say, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, because I'm in the yoke with you. You're harnessing my strength. You ever thought about that? The word of God, what the, the word of God asks us to do, you see, I think something revolutionary happens in the life of a Christian when we realize that the word of God is not designed to make us miserable. The word of God is designed to bring us joy. Now, sometimes people don't get this. Sometimes people say, you know, hey, don't preach at me. Or that was preachy. How would you like to be a preacher, by the way? Uh, yeah, uh, preachy. Uh, but, um, um, but, 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 but what if God's word is not designed to, to, to make us miserable? 
Um, have you ever heard somebody say, hey, don't go quoting the Bible at me, right? As if, if, as if you're trying to ruin their day. The Bible is an expression of God's love. I heard a story one time, it's a, a joke, but I think it makes a serious point. There were these two men in a truck, and uh, neither one of them was all that bright. And they're passing through a small town, and they see up ahead a, a sign that says, uh, on an overpass, it says, clearance, 11 feet, 3 inches. And, uh, and they immediately pulled over onto the shoulder because they weren't exactly sure how tall the truck was. And so uh, they stopped on the shoulder, they got out, and uh, they measured the rig, and it just so happens that their, their rig was 12 feet, 4 inches. The overpass, 11 feet, 3 inches. Their rig, 12 feet, 4 inches. So they climbed back uh, in the cab of the truck, and the guy in the passenger seat says, well, what do you think we should do? And the driver pauses, rolls down the window, looks around. He says, I don't see any cops anywhere. Let's go for it. I really thought you'd laugh hard at that. I did. I did. John is so mad, he's walking out. I just <laughs> he did not like that joke. <laughs> Let me ask you this question. How, how is it that we think of God? Do we think of God like the two guys in the truck? Ah, oh, they're just posting that sign to make us miserable. They're trying to impede our, our freedom. Or is the sign to keep us from crashing our lives in an immovable barrier? What if God's word is designed to keep us from crashing? What if one of the ways we experience God's love for us is by discovering what happens in his word? There's a, um, a, a pastor, Thomas Chalmers, who a couple centuries ago uh, preached this sermon, and the title of the sermon was The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. Thomas Chalmers says, the, the only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection is through the expulsive power of a new one. What does that mean? Well, he says you can walk around telling people, well, don't love money and don't love greed and don't love drunkenness and don't love stealing and, and don't love speeding and all those kinds of things, right? And well, that, that, that old love is still there. What they need is a deeper love. What they need is a love of Christ that's so deep that it expels the power of those lesser and sinful loves. They need a greater love. I find something hopeful about this. As our world descends into more hatred, more infighting, more divisiveness, more isolation, more violence, the power of Christ within us invades our hearts with love, love for God, love for his word, love for one another. I've loved hearing some of the stories that came out of our experiment with Deeply Rooted this last spring. How some of you were experimenting with ways of, of reading the Bible, ways of obeying Scripture, ways of, of engaging in prayer and spiritual disciplines, praying with one another in new ways. And, you know, as our staff, as our church council have been talking about this, uh, this deeply rooted experience, the last thing we want to do is just say, well, been there, done that. We got that over with. Uh, no, no, we want to go deeper. We, we want to we sink down our roots much deeper in God and what he is about. We find hope in the power of God's love moving through us. 
Secondly, we find power, or hope rather, in the power of faith. Hope in the power of faith. Now, I want to make a distinction here, and I think it's really important. Sometimes when Christians speak of faith, we focus almost exclusively on ourselves. In other words, somebody says, have faith, have faith, have faith. And we're like, okay, you know, and we close our eyes and cross our fingers, you know, and we tense our muscles and we're just trying, trying, trying so hard to to have faith as if faith was about us. But when the Bible speaks of faith, the the emphasis is, is much less on you and me and the emphasis is on what we put our faith in. I love the way one commentator um, I read talked about this. He says, uh, David Jackman, he says, as always, he says, the, the Bible's emphasis is on the object of faith. It's on who we put our trust in, not on the subjective experience of believing, of, of our faith muscles. It's on, it's on who we trust. Um, uh, verse 5 in the, in the New Living Translation says, and who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That's the object of our faith. Our faith is in Jesus. You might have faith in a chair before you sit down on it, but if the, if the chair is made of cardboard, you're going to crash. It's not about the act of faith to sit down uh, exclusively. It is about what we're sitting upon. It's about what is holding us up. And for the Christian, what is holding us up is the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord, that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, John makes this point um, and I don't know about you, but when I was reading verses 6 uh, through verse 9, it, it sounded a little strange the first time I read it, and to be honest, the, the third and fourth time I read it as well. Uh, and so I want to try to unpack the argumentation that's going on. Um, in the Old Testament law courts, a person could not be tried and convicted on the words of a single witness. Why is that? The witness might be lying. And so why would you, you know, convict somebody on the words of one witness who might not be reputable. And so, for example, in Deuteronomy 19, it says one witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of any crime or offense that may, they may have committed. And then it says a matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Two or three witnesses. Make sense so far? Okay. Well, the Apostle John Uh, who knew the Old Testament well, and who also had hung out with Jesus for three years. Remember in the very beginning of of 1 John, he tells us these are things that we saw. These are things we experienced. These are things we touched with our own hands. The, The apostle John tells us that this Jesus that he hung out with for three years is no uh, mere prophet. He's no just mere TED Talk guru, okay? He's actually God's son. And then it's as if John says, and to prove it, I'm going to call three witnesses to the stand. And this is where we get to those words that, that made me scratch my head the first couple of times I read them in verses 7 and 8. And so in 1 John 5, it says, for there are three, you might say three witnesses that testify. And then here are the three witnesses. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the, three of, and, and, and the three are in agreement. Okay, what does that mean? Well, there's a lot of scholarly discussion about what that means, but here's my best sense. In verse six, uh, John mentions two witnesses, water and blood, and I think there he's talking about the water of baptism when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist, and then the blood, of course, is the death of Christ on the cross. And in, in those events, 
the, the Holy Spirit was active. You may remember the baptism of Jesus. The Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove and rested on Jesus. And not just the Holy Spirit, but God the Father roared his approval from heaven. He said, Matthew 3, verse 17, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. So, so the, 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 the Father and the Spirit testified at Jesus' baptism about Jesus' holy mission. And then this same Jesus dies on the cross and his blood testifies as well. And, uh, and God's power was so present in that event. Remember the, uh, the sky darkened. Uh, people that had been shouting crucify him uh, went away weeping. The, the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. A, 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 a pagan Roman centurion looked at the whole thing and his summary was surely this is the son of God. And so the blood testified as well that Jesus is God's son. And then uh, on, on Easter Sunday, the spirit raised God, or Jesus from the dead. On, on the day of Pentecost, the spirit points the attention, the spirit blows through the church and points the church's attention toward the risen Christ. One commentator says this, it's almost as if John the apostle is saying, if you wanna know who Jesus is, you gotta look at his whole life. Look at his commissioning at baptism. Look at his sacrificial death on the cross. Look at him being raised by the Spirit on Easter Sunday. Look at the Holy Spirit coming to further the work of God in the book of Acts to the present day. This is not merely the testimony of human beings. Human beings can see things differently. This is God speaking. These witnesses are coming together. And it's their testimony that feeds our faith. Look, here's the deal. You and I, in our own strength, we can't win a tug of war against evil and death in our own strength. We can't do it. But what faith does is faith harnesses the power of Christ. And it's that, it, it's a second pull of the tug of war rope. I like what one old Christian writer has to say about faith. He said, faith is the foot of the soul. It comes to Christ. Faith is the hands of the soul. It receives Christ. Faith is the arms of the soul. It, it embraces Christ. Faith is the eye of the soul. It looks upon Christ. Faith is the mouth of the soul. It feeds upon Christ. I thank God for the faith that opens me up to all the power and strength of Jesus Christ. And it's Christ. It's not my faith muscles my faith simply accesses the power of Christ. I've, I've told some of you before about the, the, when I was a kid, the first time I ever got to use a steak knife. I mean, what a banner day that was when I got to use a knife that had this serrated edge. And I had never used a, a steak knife before, and we were having chicken fried steak and gravy and green beans. And I can remember I took the fork in my left hand, I'm right-handed, I had the, the steak knife in my right hand, and I was just bearing down so hard on that knife that I was just slinging green beans and, and, uh, and, and mashed potatoes everywhere. And my dad very patiently looked at me and he said, son, the knife is sharp. He said, you don't need to bear down on it like that. Just lightly slide it across the surface of the stake and let the knife do the work. Faith in Jesus is letting Jesus do the work. Oh, we have our part. We hold the knife to be sure. We, we put our faith in Jesus. 
But it's Jesus who does the work, Jesus who pulls the rope, Jesus who fights our fear, Jesus who fills our thoughts, Jesus who supplies the courage that we lack. And this love of Christ has been poured into our hearts. We find it in the love that Christ gives us. We find it in the faith. But then ultimately, we find hope in the power of life. This is like that knockout punch, okay? This is like that pull that wins the battle. Uh, It's the power of new life. We've just been talking about this kind of triple testimony, right? The commissioning of Jesus in the waters of baptism, the blood of Christ on the cross, the witness of the Spirit on Easter Sunday, and the witness of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And this testimony uh, that that we have seen uh, states this beautiful truth about Jesus in verses 11 and 12. Let's look at it. And this is the testimony. This is what the water, the blood, and the Spirit all agree upon, that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son, Jesus Christ. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. We, we take God at his word. If not, verse 10 says we make God out to be a liar. And when we take God at his word, there's some beautiful things for us to focus on. First is that this life is a gift. It's given to us by God. What, what a precious gift. When you're at the funeral uh, of, of, of someone who believed in Jesus Christ, we cling to this gift, right? In the midst of our grief, we cling to the gift that their, their last chapter has not been written, that they are with the Heavenly Father, that they have eternal life. This eternal life is found in Jesus. He's the resurrection and the life. And then I want you to notice this present tense. Whoever has, present tense, the Son, has life, has it right now. This life that God gives is not just eternal life in the future, but in a sense, eternal life has already started because we have that life in us. We've been born of God, and eternal life starts now. And it is a gift. It's not a merit badge. Eternal life is not a merit badge. It's a gift. It's not about your accumulation of Bible knowledge. It's not about uh, the good deeds you've done in the past. It's not about your spiritual gifts. It's not about the home that you grew up in. It's not about whether you can sing on key. It's not about whether you can pray with deep theological terms, five-syllable words, sanctification. Uh, Sometimes, uh, you know, one-syllable words in prayer are even better, like help. Uh, or thanks. Uh, it, it's, not about, it's not about your prayer vocabulary. Verse 12 says, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever has the Son has life. And this gives us hope. The poet Emily Dickinson said, hope is a thing with feathers. Hope gives our lives flight. Hope sets our mind on things above. And it's hope in Jesus, not in us. And I just want to ask you, is there anything today that is keeping you from resting in that hope? A few weeks ago, I heard this wonderful clip from a gifted uh, preacher named Alistair Begg. And uh, it was just so beautiful, and to me it embodied some of the best of his preaching. It was very clear, 
it was funny and it was a Scottish accent and uh, it was gospel focused, most importantly. And I, I just wanted to show it to you. He was, he was referencing um, the fact that Jesus, you know, was crucified between these two thieves. And when you put the gospel accounts together, at first, both of the thieves on either side of Jesus criticize him, but then one kind of has a change of heart. There's a bit of repentance and he asks for grace, and Jesus says, I, you know, I tell you, this day you'll be with me in, in paradise. And so Alistair Begg is talking about this thief on the cross who asks for grace from Jesus. And let's watch this clip. They think about the thief on the cross. And what an immense, <laughs> I, can't, I, I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him. How did that shake out for you? Because you were, you, were, you, were, you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You'd never been in a Bible study. You'd never got baptized. You, never, you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and, yet, and yet, you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said. You know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Well, because like, I don't know. Well, you know, we're, uh, did, what, excuse me, let me get my supervisor. They go get the supervisor engine. So we have just a few questions for you. First of all, are you, are, you, are, you, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? <laughs> the guy said, I've never heard of it in my life. And, and what about, uh, let, let's just go to the doctrine of scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually, in frustration, he says, on, on what basis are you here? And he said, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. <laughs> now, now, that's the, that is the only answer. <laughs> the man on the middle cross said, I could come. And one day, the angels will say, you made it. <laughs> you made it. Because you put your hope in Jesus Christ. Friends, walk in this hope. Live in this hope. Trust in this hope. The man on the middle cross welcomes us home. Let's pray. Lord, there are so many things that we face in this world that want to steal our hope. There's so many things, Lord, that conspire to cause us to live in doubt and confusion and disillusionment and discouragement and bitterness and shame. But you, Lord Jesus, are the source of our hope in the battle between life and death, whoever has the Son has life, eternal life, abundant life, life right now. Lord Jesus, if there's anyone here who's yet to put their faith and trust in you, Lord, who's yet to rest on your promise, oh Lord, would you give them just enough faith to do that right now? And Lord, if there's ever any believer here today who's walking in discouragement, Lord, would you fill their hearts, our hearts, with hope through your love 
through the power of faith, through your life that beats in our heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.